Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. Um, we are so glad that you've joined us today um, for worship. And um, today we're, we're entering into just a, a conversation about community. And I believe firmly that we need people. Um, we, need, we need connection. Um, we need relationships. Um, and we need relationships often with people who share our values. Um, and I use the word values intentionally because I, I think we, we need people who share our values, but not always our opinions. Um, and particularly, I don't believe that we need people that always share our political opinions, especially as we are in this season of <laughs> electoral fun. Um, I think it's so important for us to drill down into what we value um, because often our values, when we get down to talking about them, are often the same even across party lines, even across the aisle, um, if we talk about it in that way. Um, but we need people who share our values and who value us, who care for us. And, and sometimes in that care, challenge us. Challenge us to be better people. Um, challenge us to live up to the values that we have. Um, and I've become particularly aware of this at points in my life. Um, where community has been scarce. Um, I've moved a lot in my life. And particularly when I have moved to a new community, I have become so aware of um, sometimes my lack of relationships in that community. Now, while I may maintain relationships with people that I used to be in proximity to, I used to live close to, moving to a new neighborhood, a new town, oh, that's hard. I think it's especially hard to make friends as adults. I, I think we just, we sometimes have a little more baggage, a little bit more like, actually a little less space in our life for new people. So when somebody new moves into town, our lives are full and theirs aren't as much. And we don't really notice that, do we? And so I've realized that relationships take time. They require effort. And often on our part, they require us to be vulnerable, to ask people in, to make room for people, um, to make an invitation. And, and when we get that, when we start that, that process and we, we start to build new community where we are, um, we start to find that we have people that will sit with us when we're hurting and who will celebrate with us when we are joyful. And that is some of the most beautiful and life-giving things that we can ever experience. And I am so grateful for the people in my life who not only value me, but also kind of get my weird. You know, we all have our own quirks, our own unique features that we're like, yeah, I know that's a little odd, but that's me. Um, and people who appreciate who I am, but also tell me when I'm being a jerk. Because those are most often the opportunities I have to grow and change um, and not continue in my jerkiness. And there's something so powerful about having shared experiences with people. You know, think about people you've taken a road trip with. Think about people that you have gone through a particular journey in life. Maybe it's college friends. Maybe it's people that you were in the military with. Oh. 
Maybe it's just people who journeyed with you at a certain time in life. And, and sometimes those shared experiences are so powerful in connecting us. And it gives us this common language. And sometimes you find that you have this insider language with people, these inside jokes. And, you know, people that know your story, um, that you don't often have to explain it because they know it already. And I think about my friends and, and people in particular, and I was reminded of this weekend. And I have, I have a very unreasonable fear, but it's very real. I have a deep abiding fear of spiders. It's awful. I don't know what it is. People have tried to, well, what is this? Because they look so weak. I'm like, I don't know. They just scare me, okay? I can't even handle pictures of them floating through Facebook when some of you post those things. And you know who you are. You're awful because they're completely unexpected, and then they jump out at me, and I just I can't handle the next hour of my life. And I have dear friends who know this about me, um, who know this well, so much so that their kids think it's fun and hysterical, and I play it up with them. I do. I can't tell you the number of times that I have had to read them stories that have spiders in them, you know, educational books that have the real-life pictures, um, or had spiders thrown in my hair, or pictures sent to me of spiders that they found somewhere, or even a Lego spider. And the kids think it's funny, and, and it's just a common language we have, and so much so that even this weekend I got a video from the dad, and I opened the message, but I didn't open the video because I've learned this. And I could see the first image, and it was an arm, and then black legs. And I said, nope, not playing it, know what it is, don't need to see it. Because you cannot scrub out the mind's eye, can you? Can't unsee it. So I refused to see it, knowing full well that it was probably one of them with a giant hairy tarantula on their arm. And I was right, so I didn't even need to open it. Um, but I love the fact that, um, not that they send me videos of spiders crawling on their first grade daughter, who is way braver than I am. I, I can admit that with, with full disclosure. First graders are often more brave than I am, truly. Um, but that they, they find this as, you know, something fun. And, and I do too in many ways, that this is a connection point for us, a shared language, a common experience at times. And it's ridiculous, but it shows that they know me and that I know them enough to know not to open videos from them. And I think about this as so important of how we need people and we need connection. We need to be reminded that we're not alone. And, and the funny thing is that it's God who first named this. The very beginning of Genesis, the Lord God says, it is not good that the human is alone. It's not. And so God goes about creating community. And we see this lived out in Scripture, and we see this particularly lived out in the early Christian community. This community that will form after the resurrection. And while we can come to faith on our own, and I've heard all sorts of stories and experiences from people, of people discovering faith for themselves, but living that faith is best done in community, that it is most abundant in community, that it is most fulfilling in community, I believe. 
And I want to make a point of this because I'm going to use this word a lot today is church. And we in our, our modern world, we understand church as a place and a time, don't we? If I say church, sometimes some of you may think of church in the mall. Some of you may get an image of a lovely white church with a steeple out in the middle of a field, one of those lovely photos that you see sometimes. Um, but the reality is in scripture, when they are talking about church, they're using this beautiful Greek word, ekklesia, that has nothing to do with place or time and everything to do with the people. It is about the gathering of the community. It's about the people. And I know that I harp on this a lot, but I need us to get it. Because so often we talk about church as the place and the time, not the people. The people is what makes it, isn't it? And the thing is that um, even in the early church days, they didn't have dedicated buildings for worship. They really wouldn't have that until the later part of the third century. And in those first centuries, they would actually meet some in synagogues, yes, but a lot of times in homes, in people's homes. And so you may have heard of the idea of a house church. And we're going to see this today in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this book in the New Testament that is focused on the early community, focused on the events that shape the early community especially. And the book itself begins right after Jesus' resurrection. And he has made himself known to the disciples again. And he is sharing with them that he has a mission for them. That he wants them to go as his messengers out into the world. To share his message of hope and salvation for the world. And so we see this in Jesus of commissioning his followers. Giving them a purpose. But he tells them, wait wait to do this until, there's an interesting word in scripture for it, advocate, um, which is really about the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God with them. And it's so fascinating. You see, Jesus chose as God to become human for our sake. And in becoming human, he became limited to a time and a place, as we all are, Right? We can only be at one place and one time. And so Jesus chose that for himself in his earthly life. But when he leaves, he promises his followers the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, who is not limited to place or time, to be with them, to empower them, to guide them. And so when we delve into Acts, we start to see that when the Spirit comes, the community explodes in number. And the passage that we're delving into today comes right after and tells us what happens after this event that we call Pentecost. And allow me to read it for you today. You're welcome to follow along if you have your Bible with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love that. Glad and sincere hearts. Isn't that what it's like when you gather with people and it's so joyful and rich and real? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what happens after this huge event called Pentecost in which thousands of people come to know Jesus through the preaching of Peter. But this, I think, is even more critical than that event itself, is the idea of what do you do with the people once they're there? And this passage is sometimes described as the four marks or four aspects of the church. Remember, church isn't the building, it's the people. And that these things should be present in a healthy, Christ-centered community. And these things, the teaching of the apostles, the common life or the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, are critical to healthy community. And the thing is, you need all four. You just can't have one and do it really well. Is you need all four. And the community, in particular, needs to be devoted to them. Meaning it needs to be constant, persistent action. Folks, this isn't a destination. You don't arrive in the Christian faith. And if you think that you have I'm sorry, you're wrong. We are all on a journey, and the journey isn't done till we're dead. This is a continual direction for our lives. It's one that I'm on, it's one that we're all on. And it's a faithfulness to God and to community. And I want us to look at these four items and see, one, what it shows us about our own responsibility and our faith, and also what the community's responsibility is. So we start first with the teaching of the apostles, which is really an intentional focus on the scripture and understanding the character and the nature of God. Not for the sake of knowledge, okay? This isn't so that we can win at jeopardy in Bible categories. This is teaching that is meant to shape us, to shape our worldview in many ways, to alter our perspective to one that is centered on Christ. And it often needs to have that focus on salvation, on the work and the person of Jesus, his kingdom message, the things that he said were most important, his commands. I had a professor in seminary say that the best commentary on the Old Testament was the new. And I think that's so brilliant because he was reinforcing the idea that we need the whole of Scripture. We just can't have our favorite pieces, our passages that we know by heart. We need to have the whole thing because we need that full picture. Because sometimes we read scripture and sometimes scripture reads us. Meaning that something just strikes us and tells us that there's something in my life that may need to change. I may have an opportunity to grow, to be more kind, to be more generous, to be more like Christ. See, if we fail to focus on the teaching of the apostles, we, we will allow everything else in the world to shape our perspective. And so this, like all of these actions, need to be 
a continual practice in our lives. And then the idea of fellowship or common life. And I think this is, is critical because this is how we learn, isn't this, most often? You know, we can take in head knowledge, but then to live it out with people. And so often we learn from others what it might look like. Maybe we might not emulate them perfectly, or maybe even at all, but we get an idea of what our faith lived out looks like. And the idea of fellowship is, is that it's, it's even a little bit more than friendship. Because it's a friendship that's focused on the common life in Jesus. A common value system. A common mission. A direction for our lives. We're all heading in the same direction. When you are in common mission with people, there is something powerful in that. And this fellowship is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit who unites us. You know, when we have differences, that is what unites us. That is what connects us. It's that Spirit of God. It means we can sit on either side of the aisle and still find a common purpose. And this is unique, I think. Unique as we share in our Christian life together with each other and with God. And then the third item is this idea of breaking bread. And sometimes we think, ooh, it's food. <laughs> I like food. And it is. But if you've ever been to Church in the Mall, it should be very familiar to you because we do it almost every Sunday. It's this simple meal that we partake together. It was an early Christian term for communion, or the event that we refer to now as the Last Supper. This simple meal that Jesus had with his disciples re reenact on a weekly basis. And this is why Jesus asked his disciples when he did this, do this in remembrance of me. Again, refocusing them, reminding them of what is central in their faith. See, when we go to the communion table, we, we are reminded again of Jesus' death and his resurrection. That is a central piece of our faith. If it's not there, the reality that Jesus died on our behalf, that he died in our place for our sake, for our benefit, and then rose three days later. If none of that happened, if none of that happened to prove that it is finished and that sin is conquered, then what we do really will have no meaning beyond this life. And so we do this as a remembrance, as a reminder, when we break bread together, when we take of the bread and the cup, we remind ourselves of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a good reminder because it reminds us of our need for grace and God's amazing gift of it. We remember that like Jesus' body, the bread is broken. Like the cup, his blood was poured out for our sake. 
And so the early community would have focused on this simple meal together as this remembrance. And then our final piece, prayer. And again, you need all four of these. None is better than the other. And you need them all to work together. But prayer. And I think sometimes we, we make prayer way too complicated. You ever sit in a room with people and ask someone to lead prayer? Unless there's a pastor there, most people are going to pass and look down and hope that someone else picks up the gauntlet. Because we make it too complicated. We feel like there's only one right way to do it. But the reality is prayer, as John Christom, one of the early church fathers said, prayer is simply conversation with God. It's the best definition of prayer I know. Prayer is conversation with God. And I know all of you can talk. I heard you earlier. It's simple. But isn't the the simple things the most powerful things at times too? Because in prayer, in that conversation with God, we are reminded that we are heaven and earth people, as N.T. Wright puts it. We are people that, yes, we know this earthly life, but we have a different perspective. We have a big picture that tells us this is not just it, and it doesn't have to be this way. That there is more than just what we see. And so when, when community, when a gathering of people is focused on these four practices, you're going to hear that word, by the way, just a little spoiler alert, you're going to hear the word practice way too much in the next six weeks. Deal with it. But when these practices are engaged by the community intentionally, awe comes upon the people because they start to see themselves as a family under one roof. See, we read in our scripture earlier that they sold property in order to take care of one another. That they sold property to take care of those in need, to make sure that no one was in need. They took care of the poor, those, in, those who may be suffering. They sought to meet that need. And the thing is that they probably sold extra property, meaning that they still kept the homes that they lived in, because we read later on that they would meet in homes to gather together. So they didn't enter into the idea of a, you know, one large commune, so to speak. This is a very modern concept that we like to throw back at the ancient world. And the reality is they would have kept their homes, but they would have sold extra property, which would have been a sacrifice for them. Yes. But I don't want you to miss that point. But this is the idea of being generous with one another in order to make sure that everyone is taken care of. This is what it is to love people in action. You know, we celebrate God in the way that we care for people. I spoke with um, Pastor Kevin this week, just briefly, and um, we were talking about some things, and he asked me, and we try not to talk about church because he's on sabbatical, and he's taken a break, um, but he asked me, and it was more a personal question, what was I most excited about these days? And I told him, I'm like, 
There's a lot of things I'm excited about, but let me tell you, last Sunday, 14 people gathered for our care team meeting, and I was so excited to see them, and I was even more excited just to see the things that we talked about. I love the idea that 14 people took time out of their schedules to meet and talk about this, how we can care for one another in the community and beyond. And I know that there are even more than that 14 who gathered who are interested. They just couldn't make the time that day. I love the idea of a group of people coming together, concerned about the welfare of others, and seeking to do something about it. This is what they're talking about in this scripture, is how can the community come together and meet those needs? What can they do to ease the suffering of another? And I'm just so excited to see how this will take shape in our community. And the thing is, you may not volunteer to serve on the care team, but you're already a member of it because you're here at this church. See, let me just give you an example. We talked about a lot of ways that this could be put into action, how we could care for people. One of the things we talked about was, well, what if somebody had to, needed help getting to appointments? Um, I think about a dear friend of mine who went through cancer treatment and had to regularly go to Columbus for chemo treatments, and she wasn't able to drive herself because at the end of the treatment, she was so exhausted and tired, um, and they just recommended that she not drive. And so there was a group of us who just kind of took it on. And at one point, she even had people kind of fighting over who could take her. And I think about, like, we were talking about, you know, maybe, you know, we don't have this need right now, but we anticipate we may. Would there be people willing to provide themselves as a driver in their car? It may be something we step into. And the interesting thing is that that person who provides the vehicle may not be able to take on the burden of the cost of driving, maybe on a weekly or biweekly basis. And some of you may step in and provide the support, maybe in a gas card, for that to happen. You may not have the availability to be that driver, but you may have the generosity to empower that. That's what happens when we give here at church, is that you get to be a part of all of the good things together. That is what it means to be generous here. And the thing is, Scripture describes the community of Christ as a body, and the body works together. So in my example, who is more important? The guy with the car? Or maybe the woman with the gas card? Neither. Because both are needed. Some of you, um, you don't participate in our children's ministry. It's just not a call on your life. But you are a part of it because you're a part of this church. You support the purchase of curriculum that our volunteer teachers use, that our small group leaders use to, to get a hold of supplies that they need to teach the story of God to children on a weekly basis here at Church in the Mall. So you may not serve directly over there, but you are helping to support it happen. This is what it means when it's talking about generosity within the community, is you are meeting needs in ways that you're not even aware of at times.
But that's what happens when we see ourselves as a family under one roof, is that we stop looking at things as yours and mine. And we start looking at it as family, as community, as what are the resources within our community to take care of needs. See, John and I, we don't ask our kids to pay their fair share. They're two and nine months, so that's not going to happen. But that's not the point. We're a family. You know, John makes more money than me. But we don't divvy up. Well, that's yours, that's mine. It's one household. It's us taking care of one another together. We're one family. And this is how it can be in the community of God. That we become family by shared faith. That we have this lovely symbol when we enter into baptism, that we become part of the family of God. That when we come to communion, we break a single loaf and all partake of it. That we are united in prayer with the Holy Spirit. And so when, when you see this in action, you start to understand why this life was so attractive. Why they're talking about people coming in numbers to this community why they were drawn to it and why they had such glad and sincere hearts why there wasn't any pretense or performance in this community they weren't trying to impress one another they truly enjoyed being together because when you participate in all these actions and practices together you experience real life with people because Christianity is community living. Now, the hard thing is that community is made of people. And we ain't perfect. We mess up. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We put our foot in our mouth. And then we, we don't know what to do about it. We act sometimes out of anger or hurt we misinterpret someone's actions and we, we think that they're upset with us. And many folks experience this sometimes in church community, more often than not. And I think the hard, hardest part of it is that we expect it to be different and we should. Often people have a very good reason to be upset with the church. I hear people say, yeah, I like Jesus, I know Jesus, I don't really need church. Or they go looking for perfection in a church community and they have a list of things that they want to see met. And I think you should have some criteria for a church community. But when your list is longer than your grocery list sometimes, your expectations may be a little out of whack. Because when they don't meet your expectations perfectly, and you leave looking for another church, you got to realize that church doesn't exist. Because as soon as you join it, it's screwed, right? 
because we're not perfect. We mess up. And if you're unsure that you mess up, ask some of your friends. Ask your spouse. You'll get an honest answer. Because the reality is church is made up of people. Flawed, messy people who are trying to figure it out. And the thing is that this, this is the rescue plan that God created. This isn't plan B or plan C. There's not another one. This is God's plan to redeem the world through the church, through the message of Jesus Christ, through flawed, messy people reaching out to a flawed, messy world. And I think this is why these four elements are so critical. Because scripture reminds us of our need for God's grace so that we can offer it to others. Being in a common experience with people or fellowship reminds us we're not alone in this that we have people to lean into. That we have people to learn from. You know, so often we think, oh, we've got to start with the Bible, but if you've never opened the Bible, how do you know how to read it? I hear from people all the time, well, I started in Genesis and I got to Exodus and I stopped. I'm like, I'm impressed you got to Exodus. To sit and read scripture, I think, is so much more richer when we sit in community, when we sit with people and we share our perspectives on it. When we learn from each other what it is to live out faith that we are most often shaped by, by relationship. We're shaped by the people who invest in us and the people we invest in. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said this, the gospel of Christ knows no religion, meaning no faith, no expression, but social. No holiness, but social holiness. And for Wesley's holiness was always about love perfect love. Holiness wasn't being better than someone. Holiness was the pursuit of love, love for God and love for others. How do you love others if you're not in relationship with them? One of the best ways to love God, by the way, is to love others. And one of the best ways to love others is to love God. So when we say we don't need church, we don't need each other, or we get disheartened by your experience in church, and I'm not, I don't want to ever deny someone's hurt and their pain, because we mess up, and sometimes we mess up really big, and we need to seek forgiveness on that. But the body of Christ is incomplete without us. And we are incomplete without the body of Christ. And so that's why we need fellowship. We need a common life with other believers. And one of the reasons why here at Church of the Mall we do communion almost weekly is that we need that reminder, that proclamation of Christ's death and resurrection. Again, to refer back to John Wesley, as he, he talked about 
the need to partake of communion almost as much as you could. And some of you may have had experiences with other denominations that, that may limit you, that may say you have to be a member, you have to uh, be baptized. And here at Church in the Mall, we are United Methodists, and that says to us, the table is open. I have no right to bar anyone from this table because it is not mine, it is Christ's. And the only thing, and this is what Wesley stressed, the only thing we risk by inviting people to this table is them having an encounter with Christ. This is a table for all. We welcome all to it. And then that importance of prayer. That meeting of heaven and earth within our very spirit. That conversation with God. That unity with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we only do this, these things on Sundays, if we only engage in them on Sunday morning, we limit our faith to a time and a place when our faith is intended to be transcendent, meaning it is supposed to be with us ever-present. It is supposed to seep into every corner of our lives. And why when we read in scripture, we read about believers meeting in each other's homes, being in connection with one another. That they might not have enjoyed the Lord's Supper together on a daily basis, but they enjoyed fellowship together. They enjoyed regular meeting in prayer together. They engaged in this practice of hospitality with one another. This idea of, of welcoming each other into each other's lives. And not just for the members of that particular church community. But this was also a means of outreaching, of welcoming new people in, of inviting guests in to experience that shared life they had. That these homes became these centers of Christian fellowship. Because church wasn't about a place and a time, but about the people gathered. And this is one of the reasons why we encourage you to invest in a group. And you're going to have the opportunity in the next six weeks to do so. As we go through the season of Lent, as we go through this time in which we prepare for Easter, our celebration of the resurrection. And I want to challenge you, if you haven't found a group to get into, the, to, to find one, or maybe even form one yourself. And I know that's a scary idea of like, well, I'm, I really don't feel like I could lead a group. And the interesting thing is that it's a book study. Like we have books that you're going to read together and talk about. And we have resources of questions to ask. And if you want to go a step further, we even have a DVD that you can watch together and just talk about. It's conversation, y'all. It's nothing more complicated than that at times. But I think so much of the time, and I know this in my own life, that I've resisted things, stepping into new things often because of either fear or what I think is the flip of fear a lot of times is pride. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to mess up. No one's going to show up. Whatever, you got some snacks prepared for yourself anyway. 
Or so often our pride gets in the way and we worry, my home really isn't that great to have people in. It's not good enough. I really am not good at hospitality. I mean, no one's going to like anything I offer them to eat. But the thing is, true hospitality, it comes before our pride. That we are focused on making people feel welcome, not impressing them. So I encourage you, if you, you consider this, worry about welcoming people, not impressing them. Don't embarrass them with your apologies about your house. And I'll, I'm going to confess this is, I apologized to my babysitter this week about my house. Okay, this is, this is a young woman, gracious, loves my kids, loves them. And I'm apologizing for the fact that I really haven't cleaned my house since Christmas. Just being honest with you all. So I get it. I get it. We don't feel adequate in this at times, but that's not the point. And the funny thing is that this lovely young woman was like, I love the fact that your house is lived in. She's like, I babysat for a house and everything was so pristine, I was afraid to move. People want to see the real us. They want to see us without pretense. They don't want to see us perform. They get enough of that in their lives and on Facebook and Instagram. So this Wednesday, we start the season of Lent. What are you going to do to prepare for Easter? Because that's really what Lent is, a time of preparation. It's often a time where people either give things up or they add things in. Maybe adding in a practice such as reading scripture. Engaging in a group starting to see how these four practices can become a part of your life. So I have some options for you. I want you to consider committing to in these next six weeks. I want you to think about how you will commit to community. Will you commit to being here weekly during the season of Lent? It's six Sundays. Come, be here. Even if you get here late, it's okay. We want you here because we are incomplete without you. You are incomplete without us. Now, if you're sick or out of town, and especially if you're sick, stay home. I, I need to say that because some of you will come and cough all over us, and then all of us have something shared we really didn't want. But you get the idea. If you're not sick or out of town, come. Be a part of the community on Sundays. And consider committing to a small group. Maybe even forming your own if the ones that we have don't fit your schedule. Bob, Cassidy, and myself will help you with that. It's six weeks. You can do anything for six weeks. And the thing is, in those six weeks, you will find a beautiful, life-giving faith. An opportunity to experience the awe of community in its richness, in its realness. And in that, find yourself changed in a better way. Amen.
talked a lot about this today, I know. And this is an important practice for us to come to this table. To partake of of juice that comes from grapes that have been crushed. And bread that in order to be shared in the life of the community must be broken reminding us of the Lord's Supper reminding us of God's great grace and love for all of us do this in remembrance of me Jesus says do this in remembrance of me so I invite you to come forward Receive a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and in that, reflect on the central event of our faith, Christ's death and resurrection, and what it means for all of us, that our God loved us enough to give that sacrifice so that we would have a way home. I don't know anything more beautiful than that. I don't know anything more life-giving than that at times that when all else fails me, this is what I hold to. So I invite you to come and break bread with us.